Let's do it. Thanks for joining us. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Now, we are having a little trouble with our telephones today, so if you call and it just rings and rings and rings, uh, some of the calls are, I should say most of the calls, aren't going through. Go ahead and give us a call, and we'll see if we can't get you through. We ask that if you got a cell phone, please try to use that, and if not, call through, and we'll see if we can't get you on in and get you up to the top of the list and get your question answered. There you go. That's that, right. that covered it. <laughs> all that out of the way. There you go. Now we can get on with the show. That's right. Hey, you know, just in case you can't call in or something occurred to you during the week, think of something, just don't want to be on the radio. Right. You can always visit the website and get your questions answered there. Mm-hmm. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that. It's Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. There are several databases you can search on the site, depending on what kind of information you're looking. If you're looking for a short, to-the-point answer to a particular question, you can go to the vehicle questions. Vehicle and questions. they've got their own go. search function on vehicle questions that you can use just to search those questions. Of course, there's also a site search function, and there's another search function on detailed topics. Right. Each one has their own individual search, and then there's also an overall search that will search the entire site. So. Between all that, I think you'll find what you're looking for. And, and should you happen not to find right. what you're looking for or just feel like sending Lewis an email, there's That's a right. contact bar on every page, send it any time of the day or night, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. We just ask that you fill out a fresh form off the website each time because we do get inundated with a lot of spam, and so we've got a device set up on the site that if any email comes to me, if it doesn't come through that website, it pretty much just goes to a junk bin. I don't even see it. So if you just, like, have a old address saved or if you just type in the address and send it to me, I won't get it. Right. So just go ahead and delete that out now. Right. Just go ahead and delete that and go to the website, fill out a fresh form each time. That way it definitely will come to me. And I answer every single email I get. So if you had not got an answer from me, just check on all that stuff. Make sure you're sending it check. with a fresh form. And, and check your return address. Make right. sure it's typed in correctly because it doesn't take but one character to be off and right doesn't come back i never ever ever ignore an email so i do believe it or not i sit there and answer every single one i get <laughs> and, yep. that, and that's quite a task so yeah, it is glad to do it just go ahead and, like, just use those particular parameters it will go through put a article on there this morning that i think is going to be interesting to a lot a lot of people you know serpentine belts have been around for a number of years since the mid 80s oh at least yeah and they look exactly the same today as they did then However, there's been a well two distinctive changes in them. One is the material they're constructed of. They used to be made of neoprene, and now they're made of EPDM. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to try to muddle through it. I think it's ethylene propylene diene monomer. It's a very, very, very tough material. Now, the serpentine belts today will probably last seven years or 80,000 miles, whichever comes first. The only kicker is... The way we always checked serpentine belts in the past was to look at the ribs and look for cracks. Correct. Now, on these belts, the EPDM belt, you're not going to see cracks. Even at 70 and 80,000 miles, there won't be any cracks, which falsely leads a lot of people to say, oh, well, they're okay. Right. Now, the problem with that is the ribs in them do wear just like in any belt, and they'll start to slip. And they won't make a squealing noise, but what they will do is burn up stuff like air-conditioned compressor clutches and... Because they're slipping and not they're pulling slipping, the right amount of They're generating a huge amount of heat. And what we noticed is that we were seeing a huge increase in the number of idler pulleys failing and air clutches failing. And did a whole bunch of research and come to find out this is what's going on with it. 
Now, they do make gauges that you can check these belts. Correct. You lay it down in the little groove, and it shows you when the groove's worn out. And it's pretty obvious when you get a worn-out belt. Right, but just like you were saying, just to look at one, that you can't like, tell that it's like worn out. That's right. Looks it's like not, brand new. The ribs are not going to crack on it. Uh-huh. It's not going to get discolored like the old ones did. Right. The Many first, times they won't fray on the back. Well, the first thing you're going to notice is the belt's got cut all the way through. Yeah. It'll actually slice all the way through the belt because the pulley is now bottoming out in the belt. There's pictures of all that on the site. Another thing you can look at is when you look at the little ribs in your pulleys, they'll be shiny because they're bottoming out in there, and that's another giveaway. We have seen where the compressor burns up from that, and the belt still looks like brand new. You measure it, and it is wore slam out, and it's got 100,000 miles on it. And the owner was looking for cracks, or even the shops had to go to, because a lot of shops hadn't caught on to that yet. Right. So a real interesting article, sort of a new twist. The other type of serpentine belt is the stretch belt that's coming out now. Yeah, we've we've been doing a lot of research on those also. Right. The 2008 and up Chevrolet uses that on the air conditioning belt, and that is a belt with no type of tensioner and no type of adjustment whatsoever. requires a special tool to put it on, and you have to cut it to get it off. Right. So, so once it comes off to new, service new, any of the accessories, right. a new belt has to be put new back on. New belt each time. You have to cut it to actually get it off, and it does require a special tool to put it back on. So some of the new stuff that they got saves GM some money. Yeah. They don't have to put tension on it. But. Makes it makes it a pain for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Good article and lots of other good articles on there. Got one coming out next week you might want to watch for, and it's kind of a different twist on battery problems. Everybody's used to batteries going dead, but this is a little different. Right. Something very, very, very expensive that has to do with batteries. I don't want to give it away. But <laughs> just watch for that. It'll be coming out next next week. Next week, next, mm-hmm. uh, Saturday, next Saturday morning. Saturday morning, morning, six o'clock. There you That's go. When they go on there, hey, appreciate you looking at that. It's www.agcoauto.com. A G C O A U T O dot com. Of course, stands for Alpazan's Garage Company. I think you'll really like it. And we're going our phone lines. We got Sonny on line. Good morning, Sonny. Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Got a question about a 2000 Tacoma. Okay. Toyota. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Check engines lights on, and okay. I can't get it inspected. Yes, okay. Do you have any secrets or something I can do myself, or do I have to take it in somewhere? Sonny, you can check the code on it and see what kind of code it's got. Most likely, it's going to be over your head, and it's going to cost you a whole lot more money to try to do it yourself than it would to bring it to somebody who knows what they're doing. Simple reason being, the codes that it's set is sort of a literal piece of information, but it can be real, real misleading. For instance, you may go and check it. It may have an oxygen sensor code. And what most people do at that point is they put an oxygen sensor on there, two or three, and it's light still on. Well, see, an oxygen sensor code only says the sensor's out of range. It doesn't say it's bad. Now, it can be out of range because you've got a vacuum leak in the engine. It can be out of range because the spark plug's misfiring. It can be out of range because the map sensor's bad, and that's the way it reads the range on it. It's all in the way it was programmed right. by the engineer that programmed it. He had a specific set of parameters that he set that if this happens, turn this light on for this reason. Right, and set this code. Right. It's even through the manufacturer, Yeah, the parameters are different. Even two Toyotas will right. be different. So it's very, very, very confusing if you don't know what you're doing. We see a lot of times people come in with oxygen sensors and their mass airflow meter is bad. So the engine doesn't know how much air it's got going into it. So it says, hey, this sensor's really not arranged based on this amount of air, but the amount of air going in was wrong. See? So unless you've got ways of testing all that stuff, all uh, you can do is start changing parts, and you'll run out of money before you run right. out of guesses. It's much more in your favor to take it somewhere Whereas somebody who has the right knowledge of the the system, the right tooling, that can diagnose it for you, even if you want to fix it yourself. Right. You could do that. 
Yeah. You know, you'd be much better off that way. On Toyota, most of the time, it's a relatively simple fix. They don't have a great deal of check engine light problems. Literally, there's 2,000 things that can make that light come on. Okay. And, of course, one light. So we see a lot of oxygen sensor codes. We see a lot of evap codes where the charcoal canister in the back goes bad. That's the two primary codes we see on Toyota. But you know, every once in a while, you'll get one of mass airflow sensor bad or something. Like anything else, mechanical device, you know, stuff can break on it. But it's right. just generally it's a lot cheaper to go ahead and get it checked and you know, get, you. get it fixed. It just I see it every day. People come in, they spend literally hundreds if not thousands of dollars trying to get that light off then they bring it to me and we fix it and it was you know a hundred dollar fix and they don't spend a thousand dollars on junk they didn't need and and a lot of times you can actually cause they, another yeah. problem well the put, stuff they're putting back ain't as good as stuff they're right. taking off because they take it off oem toyota stuff and putting aftermarket junk on there and many times yeah. you got to go back and put the old parts back on it i see and a lot of okay, people Cliff. don't keep the old parts <laughs> that's a problem yeah well you've helped me uh tremendously and uh, right, Take care of that. Thank you very All right. much. Thanks, You're welcome. Sir. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to be part of the Auto Note of Hour, you may have to call a couple of times because that line is having trouble. Yeah. If you dial it, just rings and rings and rings. It's because the phones are filing up. It's not right. not answering. <laughs> but like Sonny did, if you call in on your cell phones in the calling radius, and uh, that will get you right on straight through. So if you got a cell phone, you're right on in there. Yep. And that's the best way to do it. Hey, we're going to go ahead and take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Seems to be the only line that's working right yeah, now. Yeah, if you call, I think if two people call at the same time, one of them might get through. It's, right. It's, it's, it's kind of screwy, so if you can't get in on a normal line, it's not that we're ignoring you. <laughs> right. And we yeah. only got one cell line, so. Right. So just we'll keep take on one trying. At a time. We'll get you quick as we can. Let's go to the lines with Guy. Good morning, Guy. I'm doing all right. I have a, a 2004 GMC uh-huh. uh, crew cab uh, with the V8, and I had the vehicle in uh, the other day for an uh, unrelated problem. Uh, actually, I had somebody that had hit me in the rear. Okay. And I keep my car fairly clean, and I wipe the engine down, and the light came on. So while while it was in the shop, just to see if it was a coincidence or what, mm-hmm. with the light coming on, the engine light, it tells uh, they ran up test on it supposedly and they told me it was a knock sensor yeah that's fairly and, common on that engine 
and I didn't know. Do y'all do that kind of work? Yes, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. There's two knock what? sensors on it, and what happened when GM built it, they put like a foam rubber seal under the front of the intake, and it didn't uh, do a real good job. If you wash the engine particularly, that water will run back in there and puddle up around that sensor, and it'll make them go bad. Whenever we do exactly it, exactly what they told me. Yeah, right. we take RTV and we build a little dam in front of it. That's GM's fix and replace uh, one or both of the sensors. I tell you what, guy, how many miles you got on the truck? I've got seventy nine, I believe. Well, you're not going to be losing anything doing this because when you do it, we're going to put the new type intake gaskets on it because those trucks, when they get to about ninety thousand intake gaskets, going to start leaking. It's going to pop another set of codes anyway. So you can fix both birds with one stone while you're in there for the same price because you got to take the intake off to get the knock sensors. Correct. But as an updated okay. intake gasket for it, we always put those on. We build the little RTV dams in front of them so it won't occur again. Not too, too terribly bad deal. Yeah, on the, on the previous engine, the knock sensor was down on the bottom by the oil pan. Right. Real easy to get to. You right. just reached up there, unscrewed it, screwed a new one in, and you were done. That's right. GM yeah. decided, well, we were having too much trouble. Let's move them up here Let's underneath the intake. Let's put them underneath the intake manifold. Yeah. <laughs> and put, right. make, it, well, make two I of them. I can't, get, I can't get the vehicle. No. No. Inspect it. Inspect it. No. Right. It's due well, 11, so. see, not on uh, that, but I, to what that'll do, guy, if that knock sensor's not working, you can start getting what they call detonation or pre-ignition. It's kind of like, you know, you got cheap gas, you accelerate, you get that rattling kind of noise. Yeah. What happens? I've had that, and I don't have any power. I've lost right. quite a bit of you, power. You'll lose, because, see, it retards the timing when it doesn't see the knock sensor. So you're going to lose gas miles, you're going to lose power, and you can actually damage the engine. So need to get it in there quick as you can. I mean, you okay, do it tomorrow. Well, what type of uh, ballpark on the thing? Oh, I don't know I, what those sensors cost. I know the labor to pull the intake and the intake gas is probably around three, 300 bucks. so, plus whatever the price of the sensors are. And you might need one, you might need two, but uh, it, it's it's not going to be thousands or anything. It'd be a few hundred dollars. Well, and the thing about it, too, you got a whole month now to get this done before the inspection sticker right. goes bad. Right. Because it doesn't uh, go bad till the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, who I uh, talk to about uh, making an appointment with you? Right. Yeah, that'd be the best thing. That way we can update everything. We Really, uh, you're kind of heading off some other problems at the same time. Can I make an appointment today, or do I have to y'all it's, open today? No, or? not at all. Just call Elaine Monday morning, and maybe a few days before she can get it in. But uh, if you're not in a real big rush, it won't be a problem. We can knock it out in about half a day in the show. Right. Oh, okay, great. All righty. Mighty fine. Thank all right, you guys. so much. Thank you, you're man. Welcome. Appreciate it. Mm, bye-bye. All right, you want to be on part of automotive. I, Force a habit. Yeah. I probably will not get you through. That's right. You could try it, but if you got a cell phone, i tell you what you do. Steve. Now, that's going to be a free call, and that will go right on through. That's the only line that seems to be operating at the time. But even if you dial the other number from your cell phone, it still won't go through. It's just a free call anywhere. That used to be a big deal to get a free call. Of course, oh, yeah. almost all cell phones are pretty much free anywhere in the United States anyway nowadays. Yeah. Some are, some aren't. <laughs> sure how much I know about yeah, cell phones. Yeah, I was going to say, you got to have the right plan to get free calls. Yeah, so I don't know about it. And then it ain't free. Well, I'm the last guy in the United States that doesn't have a cell phone. Almost. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> don't have one, don't want one. Guy says, well, why don't you have one? I because I don't want one. <laughs> what do you mean you don't want one? I just don't want one. <laughs> it's just me. I'm quirky, okay? <laughs> same re- Old school. Don't yeah, want one. That's right. Same, same reason when I go, I go eat uh, over at Arzies every just about every day. When I walk in there, the waitress, you always use the black napkin. Why is that? Because they have four different colored napkins there. Yeah. I don't know. Just what I do. <laughs> Drives me crazy. You always use the black napkin. Oh, well, hey. <laughs> what is it? They're all napkin, yeah. Matches my pants. What there can you I go. say? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Todd on line. Good morning, Todd. Hey, good morning. Uh, good I've morning. got a 2004 Suburban. Uh-huh. And 
it's got on my dashboard is telling me to service the ride control. Okay, yes, sir. And mm-hmm. it's got this auto ride shock mm-hmm. absorber things mm-hmm. in the back. Mm-hmm. Right. Makes mm-hmm. these things are related. Normally, oh, really. it says it probably says service stability control, or does it say ride control? Because it has both. It says ride control. It could possibly be those shocks then. It also has what they call stability control on that vehicle, which ties into the ABS system. It doesn't have a check engine light, does it? No. Uh-uh. Okay, because a lot of them, when they set a check engine light, will also set that code just to kind of get your attention. It throws two lights on. That thing, Todd, has a regular computer that runs it, and you have to have a Tech 2 GM scan tool, which, of course, we got one at Agco. Go in, pull the codes up, see why it's on. Many times it's not a big deal. It's just something is either out of kilter, out of adjustment. A wire could be unplugged. A line could be off. It could be one of the sensors is actually bad in it. Is the vehicle sitting level and everything appears to? Yeah, well, it does sit level, but the auto ride feature Mm -hmm. or auto level, it it used to, the rear shocks used to adjust. Yes, exactly. When I put a little trailer on it. Yes, sir. When it goes down, it comes back to level. Mm-hmm. And now it does not. Okay. Well, and it could also possibly be that the computer's seeing a longer runtime on the air shock. Right. On the shock itself. You know, because maybe the shock has a hole in it. Right. In the boot somewhere, and the computer's seeing that the runtime is excessive right. on the computer. See, if you get a leak. And kicked it. It doesn't know the there's on. a leak, but it knows that pump is running too much. So if the runtime on the pump starts exceeding about 10%, it's going to kick a light on for that and shuts the system yeah. down to protect the compressor. Or if it, if it can't it reach the range it wants. Yeah, it it, yeah, it's going to disable. Sometimes it locks as it out. As, as long as the light's on, it's going to disable the system. Right. It does that to protect the components in it because oh, you've got a pump and you've got a computer, computer, and if it sits there and tries to run, it's going to burn those up and... Your Usually, price is going to quadruple in no time flat. Right. Usually that pump will overheat, and it'll draw so much amperage through the computer that it'll take the computer out with it. Right. So now, they, they shut you it down. Can handle? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, we'll fix them all the no, time. No, not a problem. And, it, it, and it, it, could be, it could be minor. Yeah, it, it could may be not, something you know, simple. It just, just depends on what it is. It's, it's kind like of like a check engine light. You just have to get in there and find out what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, Ty. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Right. That's However, right. <laughs> <laughs> However, if you got a cell phone, and that will get you right straight through right? there. If it's busy, just keep trying. That's right. we got one line working today, and it seems to be working real well. It seems to be working pretty well, so it's kind of like that fall overboard on the ship, and there's that one little old piece of four-by-four four float, and you're hanging on to it. There you go. <laughs> it's not the best thing in the world, but, man, it's, it's the best <laughs> thing you got. <laughs> you work with what you got. That's right. Same with this line, so give it a try. We're going back to the phone line with Keith. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. How are you doing? This doing morning? great, doing sir. Great. I just recently had an experience at an automotive or a repair shop, uh-huh. and I want to get your opinion okay. on uh, what y'all think I should do. Okay. We, I had a problem with some belt noise. Okay. It was making a squeaking sound. Okay. Brought it in, had the, the serpentine belt replaced. Uh-huh. That didn't do the trick. Okay. Brought it back. Mm-hmm. They changed the idler arm pulley. Mm-hmm. And they also said that I had a bearing that was looking bad on my water pump. Okay. And that, that could be the cause of the noise. Mm-hmm. That was all changed out. Mm-hmm. Never stopped squeaking. Okay. Yes, As a matter of fact, it's squeaking louder than ever. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So what the, what pump, engine do you have, Keith? I have a V8 so, uh, engine. What type of car? Mercury what? Mercury Mountaineer. Mountaineer. It's a, a V8 or V6? It's a V8. What year is it? A 1998. Okay. So five it's, it's in very good condition. Yeah. Too, I mean. Keith, what you could have on there is something is misaligned or they may be using an aftermarket part. I've had mm-hmm. very, very bad luck with the aftermarket belts and stuff. I use the original Ford belt, and I 
can't tell you we really had any problems with squeals. The reason I was asking you if it was a V8 is because most of the six-cylinder Fords use a part called a synchronizer that replaces mm-hmm. the distributor, and they will make the exact same noise as the belt. People get fooled all the time thinking it's the belt, but it makes the exact same squealing noise, and the synchronizer is bad. Okay, but, this is what they uh, – you, you're right on it because okay. this is exactly what they told me. I brought it back in mm-hmm. a few days ago, mm-hmm. and they said that they apologized mm-hmm. and that, that now they realize it's the camshaft synchronizer and the camshaft position sensor. Yeah, and they see, offered I, I, they offered to make the repair since they've re- replaced all this other mm-hmm. stuff. They mm-hmm. offered to make the repair charging no no labor just okay. charging me the parts yes sir which well, which comes up to three hundred and forty one dollars and i'm just wondering if that uh, that's a little that stiff like a, that's a little stiff for the part i thought so because too. all you have to change is the synchronizer the cam sensor does not have to be changed and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with the sensor and there's, there's really an easy way to to diagnose if it's either or you just oh, take really yeah oh yeah you take the belt off if the noise is still there then it's not anything in the pulleys right it's uh-huh. got to be in the engine itself right but if okay. the noise goes away when you take the belt off, then you need to start suspecting pulleys or bearings right. or something in See, the front. What uh, the difference in in some shops and other shops? If mm-hmm. a lot of shops, if you go in and say, "Hey, I got a squealing noise," change the belt. Mm-hmm. They'll go in and they'll change the belt. Now their side of the argument is, "Hey, you told me to change the belt, and I did it." Right. right. But what we try to do at Agco, we don't ever ever take a diagnosis like that. If you come to me, I'm gonna say, "Okay, what is the car doing? Tell me what it's doing. Don't tell me uh-huh. what you think it is. Tell me what it's doing." You can say, "Well, it's got a squealing noise." Okay, when does it squeal? And you tell me. Well, the first thing I'm gonna do is get it to do it so I can hear the noise. Second thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna take the belt off of the car and start it. Now if the noise mm-hmm. is still there. Obviously, it's not the belt. It's not the pulley. It's not the water pump. We just eliminate all that. Right what about. 15 seconds of work you can't run it very long but you yeah. can run it long enough to diagnose if the noise is still there or not right so right. Well, it sounds like these guys didn't try to troubleshoot it the right. way you guys would right have. right and you know keith again i'm not taking anybody's side in the thing but if mm-hmm. you went in first time and and like i said just be honest with yourself if you went in and say hey i got a belt squealing i want you to change the belt and they did it. Well, right. You know what happened is you kind of misdiagnosed the problem, and they wasn't smart enough to see through that. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I guess if they're willing to do it for free, you did get a new belt, you did get a new water pump, you got a lot of new parts there. Mm-hmm. I think they're kind of a little. They, it overboard. sounds like they're trying to take care of it. Right. For you. What I would do is I would call the Ford place and I'd ask mm-hmm. them how much a camshaft synchronizer is for your car. Uh huh. And then I just go back to them and say, "Hey guys, I appreciate your offer, but you know, I called Ford." And uh-huh. a synchronizer costs this much. And if you're going to do the labor for free, how about if I just go pick up a synchronizer and bring it to you? Right. Yeah. And that yeah, way you know you're also idea. getting a good part. You know you're getting a good part. and Or at least a, a Ford part. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. All right. Well, man, I was thinking about bringing it to you guys. Well, we <laughs> we can fix it. We can definitely fix it, Keith. But, I mean, if uh-huh. they're willing to work with you and make right. it right and do it for free, uh-huh. I mean, I'd probably let them go ahead and do it. And yeah. See well, him, I'm going to take your suggestion. I think I'm going to call the Ford place. That's what see, I do. Uh, right. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, that way okay. you know. All righty. Well, thank you very much. All right, Keith. All right, Thanks, Colin, bro. You, thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to take another quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to AGCO for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at AGCO can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. 
Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I, I mean vehicle. Uh, improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Lewis Alexander with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Today only, we ask you do just call on your cell phone, and I'll get you through. And unfortunately, we only have one line, so if you call and it's busy, it's because we've got somebody on there. And just keep calling back, and we'll definitely get you through. The other lines are all down, and we're not really getting not, any calls. No. Though, so <laughs> anyway, let's go back to our phone lines. We have got Dennis has been patiently holding. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. How are you doing? Great, sir. Doing great. Well, this is going to be quite possibly the stupidest question you've ever had. Oh, no, no, no. There's never any stupid questions. Well, in, in, in fact, I probably I should have given a fake name before you answered. <laughs> but uh, anyway, okay, I have a, an 01 Ford Escape that okay. I bought as just a little runaround, the okay. V6. Mm-hmm. And it gets the worst gas mileage okay. of any smaller little SUV I've ever owned. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just sucking it dry. Okay. And is this just, now look up on the uh, computer, you know, the uh, Edmonds and all that. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not rated real well, but, you know, I'm very basic in automotive knowledge. Mm-hmm. But is there anything to improve gas mileage? How is it doing compared to its ratings? What's it rated at and what are you getting? Man, it's rated at 16 and 19 uh-huh. on the road. Uh-huh. And I'm guessing I'm getting maybe 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's an average, a yes, combination sure. of interstate and city drive. Yes, sir. Let me kind of give you the long and short of it, Dennis. To answer your first question, is there anything you can do to significantly change it? The answer is yes and no. I know that's kind of kind stupid of sounding, but, but the no is there's nothing you're going to be able to put on it or do to it that's going to make a significant difference. Okay. It's got everything designed in. Now, other than the fact that you've got to make sure everything's working the way it's supposed to be working. Because there are some things, like, for instance, if the engine temperature sensor is bad uh-huh. and the engine does not know it's at full temperature or if the thermostat's bad and it's not getting to full temperature, it is going to drink gas. Reason being, it's an injected engine, so there's no choke on it. When the engine's cold, it double fires the injectors. So you drink a lot more gas. That's one of the big things. Another thing, anything that would bring a check engine light on, for instance, a oxygen sensor that was bad or out of range, an airflow uh-huh. meter that was bad or out of range, can affect your mileage pretty significantly. Okay. If you don't have a check engine light and temperature's good and all of that, the biggest thing that you're going to be able to do is driving style. Now, with driving style, you may think that, hey, I drive perfectly fine and all, but the way you drive that vehicle is going to have a huge, huge impact. I'm talking probably four to five miles to the gallon difference. Reason being, the vehicle has adaptive learn. Now, uh-huh. adaptive learn means it learns the way you drive. Now, if you get in there and you chow down on it, what it's going to do is going to say, okay, he wants to make power. It's going to move all the shift points up on the transmission. It's going to hold the gears in lower gear longer. It's going to richen everything up. It's going to increase the power of the engine. And it learns that. 
So after you do that a few times, it's going to start using a bunch more gas. Right. It expects you to drive it like that all the time. That's right. Uh, you can make a huge difference in fuel mileage just by changing the way you drive the vehicle. And it will learn the way you drive it, and then mileage will get way, way better. I know on my vehicle, I can get, and, and I'm, a, I'm a cheapskate, so I'm, I'm always trying to get the top thing. But I can drive on the interstate 68 miles an hour and get 33 miles a gallon. Now, if I go to 72, I'm going to drop down to 28 miles a gallon. So four miles to the gallon different by driving four miles an hour faster. Right. To, to me, it ain't worth it. Okay. But the way you drive, and I am putting together an article on this exact topic, if the vehicle has a fuel mileage gauge in it, uh-huh. what you want to do is put that on instant mileage. You know, usually they've got like an average mileage and an instant mileage. Uh-huh. And watch that instant mileage gauge. And as you drive, do everything you can do to keep those numbers as high as possible. first thing you'll notice is when you manage to accelerate, it drops off drastically. Right, right. So you always want to drive like the old saying, drive like it's an egg under the gas pedal. That's very, very, very true. Another thing that will just drastically increase the mileage is coasting. On any modern vehicle, when you let your foot off the gas, the throttle closes, and the RPM are above idle, it's going to cut the injectors off. So you're basically riding free. In other words, you see that red light or stops out there, you let off the gas and you start coasting, you basically are burning no gas. Right. You can jump your mileage way, way up, and then it's going to learn the way you're driving, and it's going to start getting better mileage because of that. But that's probably, other than making sure everything is running the way that it should run, that's probably the biggest thing you can do. Now, one last thing, you got to remember, when they rated these vehicles, they rated them on gasoline. Right. What we've got in our pumps is 10% ethanol. So okay. ethanol has 33% less energy than gasoline. So when you gas- put 10%, you lose 3.3% of your mileage right so off the bat. There goes some of your gas that mileage. That's our politicians top. trying to help us. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and, of course, their idea is, well, let's put more ethanol in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. But all right, well, I, I, try I all those like things. I'm driving around in a monster truck, the gas mileage. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. Now, I can tell you what absolutely will do no good whatsoever. And that is any kind of fuel injection cleaner will do no good whatsoever. Changing your air filter will do no good whatsoever. Putting any kind of aftermarket air filter or any kind of little pills in the gas will do no good whatsoever. Yeah, I haven't I haven't submitted that. I pretty much <laughs> felt like that was late night TV stuff. Pretty so, much. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Well, y'all have helped me out a lot. I just I'm going to try to how to yep. figure out how to communicate this to a teenager. There you go. And, uh, <laughs> that that might be go. part of the problem there. That's right. Well, <laughs> no, they're not driving it yet, but they will be shortly. Oh, yeah. All right. Hi, right, Dennis. Okay. Thanks for your time. Thank yes, you, sir. man. Bye bye. All right, boy. That was. Good call. I've been trying to put that article together, and it just seems like every time I try to surmise what I'm saying, I just get more and more and more information. Right. It so, turns into three days' worth well, of article. Well, you end up with a document. Yeah. yeah instead <laughs> like of just a set of encyclopedias. It's hard to break <laughs> it down into a meaningful thing that somebody would actually read. Right. But I'm working real hard on that, and I'm hoping to have that on the site here under detailed topics in the not-too-distant future. But that is the number one thing you can do it's amazing to me people will spend thirty five thousand dollars to save five miles to the gallon and they can do the same exact thing just, just by changing, changing their driving, driving habits yep and it, not only that but that thirty five thousand dollar new car if you don't drive it like the same way you it's going to it it. <laughs> learn the way you drive exactly right hey let's go back to the fallout with mike good morning mike Hey, good morning. Hey, I want to know, does that philosophy still work with a 93 GMC 3500? Yes, sir. To a somewhat lesser degree, but it will definitely do it, yeah. Well, listen, my question is, I run a lawn and landscape service, mm-hmm. and I'm using my that uh, 93 GMC 3500. I just bought it last year uh-huh. from a guy. One-time owner had about 80,000 miles. Uh-huh. It's been running really well. 
I'm just wondering from like a preventative maintenance standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm making that big old trail around every day for 12, 13 hours yes. a day. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's mostly city driving, a little interstate driving. Mm-hmm. We're going from point to point. Sure. From your point of view, what can I do as far as like preventive? Do I need to change the all more frequently? Oh, yeah. Do I need, what, what do I need to do to kind of keep this baby right? Because it's in great shape. I'd say yeah. It's a, Michael, but I just want to make sure I can prolong On it. that vehicle, I'd be changing all every 3,000 miles if you're not doing it already. Just because you're probably doing a lot of short trips. It's all in town. It's all on load. That's what they consider severe conditions. Right. And under severe conditions, they recommend 3,000-mile oil changes. Okay. I would be changing the transmission fluid in it probably every 30,000 miles. That's okay. probably going to have a 4L80E transmission in it, which it is a does. pretty it tough does. transmission. But, again, that fluid gets real hot when you're towing all day, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Right. Fluid starts breaking down, starts producing debris, restricts the filter, which ends up burning up a perfectly good transmission that could have been prevented, but with right. a simple service. I right. also don't overlook changing the oil in the rear differential. That's probably one of the most right. overlooked things out there. And GM, under normal conditions, recommends, I think, 100,000 miles. But under extreme conditions like you're under, I want to say they recommend about every 30,000 miles on that. And okay. that's relatively inexpensive. You could probably yeah. do it yourself if you want it. If not, it doesn't cost a lot to get it done. But that will that's protecting about a two thousand dollar rear differential. Oh that yeah, thirty five hundred, yeah, that's the big uh yeah, the big, big axle. probably in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well let me ask you this mm-hmm. as far as the oil, is your recommendation standard oil, uh, carbon based oil or synthetic oil or what? Either way, Mike, as long as you're willing to change every three thousand miles, you could get by with regular oil. If you wanted to put synthetic just to buy you some extra protection, you could do that, but I'd still change it at three thousand miles. I would not go any longer than that. Just because you're doing a lot of in town, you're doing a lot of stop and start, and you're probably doing a lot of short trips. You know, yes. you probably go from one spot to the next. You may drive three to five miles. And then shut it down, and, and it shut sits it down, for an hour. Right. Two hours. Sits there for an hour or two, cools down, and you get it, you crank it up, and you, right. you go again. Right. So all those little short trips are extremely, extremely hard on all. So, well, I do it about every, every 3,000 miles right mm-hmm. now, but I, I don't, I'll go back and check the maintenance records. I'm pushing right at 94,000 right now. I've had it for a year. Mm-hmm. I've put about 14,000 on it mm-hmm. last year, so. It's probably time to change the the, the rear differential right. in the transmission. Yes, sir, definitely, definitely. And the last thing I can think of would be the coolant, you know, the antifreeze in it. That is more time-related than miles-related. But about every two to three years, you need to be changing that coolant out because you can start picking up some corrosion in there, which can cost you some big, big bucks. If you eat up a heater core, eat up a radiator, you into some big old bucks for, for no reason because it could have all been prevented. Yeah, well, when I bought the truck, I had to go in. I had I had the radiator, uh, everything changed okay, out. Okay, fluid. So that's about a year in, on the radiator. Yeah, and good. see, miles don't make much difference on coolant. That's strictly a chemical reaction, so it's more time-based. Right. What we do at AGCO is we check the pH, and we check the specific gravity, and we check the reserve alkalinity, and we change it based on that. Okay. All righty. Hey, man, thanks again. Yes, sir. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, it's out of order this morning, but if you got a cell phone, just, of course, a free call. We're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. So, Madame Babushka, you can tell if my brand-new bow and mirror are a good match? Yes. As I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on a couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Meat? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes. I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At Agco, you can. 
Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Ah, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. We've got lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? And we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I got a 05 Chevrolet Silverado that I bought new uh-huh. in 05. All right, and sir. all this time, I've always had problems with my taillights. Okay. Either the bulb goes out mm-hmm. or a, a fuse goes out, and taillight on top of the cab works fine. Yes, sir. Right yes, sir. When mm-hmm. I press my brakes on, but it's just those that are on the back fender. And now, change the bulbs, and that wasn't it. I checked the fuse, and, and that isn't it. But the taillight on top of the cab works, mm-hmm. but, but not on the back of it. Yes, right. sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, the brake light that's out. Sir, what It's was the that? brake light that's out of the parking light. The brake light. Rear brake. Mm-hmm. Does your parking lights work? Yes. Okay, what you do, Greg, you know your emergency flashers? Okay. Okay, push that button down and see if emergency flashers flash. If the emergency flashers flash, it's not the bulb, it's not the socket, it's not the wiring, because all that is the same circuit, okay? Uh, Now, if the emergency flashers don't work either, then you're probably either into the sockets, the little control board back there that runs it all, or the wiring going to it. But if the emergency flashers work and the brake lights don't, the most likely thing is going to be your multifunction switch in your steering column. See, what happens, in order to have turn signals, because they use the same bulb, when you hit your turn signal, it blocks out the brake light going to the back to allow the bulb to flash. Because if not, it would just stay on bright and you couldn't see the flashing. And what can happen is that multifunction switch can go out and it'll block off the brake lights. However, it will still work the third brake light. Okay. So try your emergency flashers first and see what that does, and that's going to point you in the right direction. Now, there is a little module back there that controls that, too, a taillight control module. It could be out, and that would also cause that problem. Yeah, I, I just press the emergency light, and right. it does work. Okay, walk back there and physically look at it and make sure they are blinking back there because it'll blink inside the cab. It doesn't mean they're blinking in the back. Okay. So walk okay. back there and check that and see. And like I said, if, if that's working, you're probably going to be into either the little control module or your multifunction switch. Okay. All right. Uh, when I first bought the truck, mm-hmm. I had um, the dealer to uh, hook me up a, a trailer. With yes, sir. Well, I'll tell you, that, that would be the first be place I'd start looking because if they hooked anything up wrong or got a loose connection or a bad connection, that could definitely cause every bit of that. So I would probably try disconnecting that first off and see if that okay. doesn't clear it up. Good deal. All they, right, fellas. All righty. Thank you all for your help. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I can't get you in on that line. However, if you got a cell phone, that'll get you right straight to us. We'll put you right top yep. list. Still got plenty of time to answer any questions That's you it. might have. That's it. You know, and a lot of times electrical problems like that, mm-hmm. sometimes they end up back to an installed component. Right. That wasn't installed properly, wasn't grounded properly. That's really the place that you need to start looking well, for. Well, yeah, anytime we like have that. any kind of electrical short, we do a pretty good interview with the customer when he comes in. And the first question is, are there any aftermarket accessories or anything that's been added to the truck? And if so, did if this so, problem start around that time? Right, because I can probably save you 
a whole lot of time, which is a whole lot of money, exactly. by going and start looking right there. Because you could have a broken wire in the wiring harness, but that is a pretty small possibility. you got to play the odds. Sure. You want to go to where the most likely chance of the problem is. Right. And then the way you always diagnose electrical problems is you go to one end of the circuit. Do you have power there? Yes, no. Well, no, then you go to the other end of the circuit. Do you have power there? Yes, no. Yes. Then you go halfway and you check it. Correct. Now, if i got power halfway, I know I've already eliminated half the circuit. I know it's between there and the end. If I don't have power there, I know it's between there and the beginning. Right. So by halving the circuit, I can actually go to it pretty quick. And that's just kind of a logical diagnostic procedure that you use whenever you're trying to diagnose electrical issues. Right. But you always, always, if there's anything that's been done, any modifications, well, the truck was wrecked and it kind of started after that. or You, you go to that specific that's spot. That's the area you start. go start looking in because that's most likely, the, the odds are way higher. So if you play the odds, you can always save a whole lot of money. Let's go back to our phone lines. John, good morning, John. Good morning, Lewis. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Listen, I enjoy your program and well, value you. your opinion on things. Thanks, sir. I'm going to ask you a question, sure. and I'm going to hang up and let you answer it. Okay. You deal with your customers every day, and with the gasoline going up and possibility of it going to 4 or $5 a gallon. Yes, sir. What do you think is going to be the breaking point to where people's going to get away from the big V8s and go to the four-cylinder, 30, 35 miles a gallon. I'll hang up and listen for your answer, and I enjoy your program. Okay, John, thanks for calling. Thank you. That's a good, good question, John. My personal opinion is that people will not quit driving no matter how high gas gets. I guess if it got to a point where they literally couldn't afford it, they might. But at $5 a gallon, people are going to grumble. They're going to gripe. All the prices are going to go up across the board, but folks are just not going to quit driving. When you consider going from three fifty to $5 a gallon is less than a 50% increase. We've already experienced far, far more than a 50% increase, and just look at the road out there. Right. It's packed. I'm standing here car looking at the interstate, and it's car. bumper to bumper. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we went from 36 cents a gallon when I was a kid to 350 a gallon, which is a thousand percent increase. Yeah. It hadn't slowed down the use of cars at all. If I anything, heard, there's more. Yeah, I heard the other day an interview with our supposedly illustrious Secretary of Energy who oh, thinks yeah? that, yeah, getting gas up to five or six dollars a gallon is going to help things. That's his energy policy, which uh-huh. is, is ludicrous. It's okay. absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. Number one, it's not going to help anything. Number two, it's going to bankrupt a whole bunch of people. Oh, yeah. Because when you start raising the price of fuel, a lot of other things go up. Well, the sure, price you, of food because, yeah, because transportation. Well, transportation. Yeah. Everything that you use in a business or a home has to get there, either on a truck or a train or something, which all burns fuel. Exactly. And, of course, they always make the comparison, well, gas in, in Europe is $5 a gallon. Well, that's because it's got a $3 tax on it. Yeah. Their gas doesn't cost any more than ours, dude. The politicians <laughs> just raping them harder over there than they are over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I mean, we got an $0.18 cent federal tax and a $0.20 cent state tax, $0.38 cents a gallon, which is bad enough, but they're paying 3 bucks a gallon tax. Right. So it's a ridiculous argument, in my opinion. And, like I said, we have ridiculous energy policy in this country. But if you want to save energy, there are ways you can do that. And what you don't want to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's right. What gets me is that folks will go and trade off a perfectly good car that gets 20 miles a gallon to buy one that gets 27 miles a gallon. Whereas if they change their driving style, 
they may have gotten 27 in the other car. Not only that, but if you take the $35,000 they're paying, you're never, ever, ever going to come close to breaking even. Exactly. you got to look at the overall cost right. of not what just you're trying part, to do. That's right. Yeah, not, not just part of just it. just the fuel mileage. And it's sort of like they, they're saying now, well, we're going to mandate cars get 50 miles a gallon. Well, that's ridiculous because if you know anything about fuel mileage and you look at the equation of the savings, when you go from 35 to 50, the savings is almost nothing. Because it's a regressive equation, you're saving a percentage of a smaller and smaller and smaller number. Correct. However, the cost of the technology to do that doubles and quadruples the price of the car and the maintenance on the car. You start doing things like eight and nine-speed transmissions in cars. Well, that's great, but when the car gets... 80,000-mile transmission goes out, you total the car because transmission is $9,000. Well, how about the new fluid for the diesels? Right. Oh, Diesel exhaust changed. fluid. Right. Adds $10 yeah. a gallon to ready high price of fuel. So until we get some strong leadership who actually starts doing some meaningful things. Right, going after the solution. Yeah, the, going after yeah. the real problems instead of the warm and fuzzy crud like we got. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week also. Tell your friends, and let's get some more people listening. That's right. And I enjoy hearing from you, so be sure to go ahead and send me emails. Tell me if you like the show. If you don't like the show, whatever we need to do to change it. There you go. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.